Hello, and welcome to Living Heritage, a show about people who are engaged in the heritage and culture sector, all those who keep heritage alive at the community level. I'm Dale Jarvis, and today's topic is Iman Art Henna. Iman was born and raised in Punjab, India. Her family moved to Ontario during her last year of secondary school. She started her Bachelor of Science at McMaster University and then transferred to physics at Memorial University in 2013 when her family moved to Newfoundland. A self-taught artist since a young age, she picked up the medium henna body art in the summer of 2013 during participation in the Youth Ventures program and received the Provincial Youth Ventures Award for Excellence in Product Design for her art business during the same summer. In April of 2017, she traveled back to her home and volunteered with school children and held workshops on child sexual abuse, menstrual health, and sex education, and provided free henna workshops for local women. She is pleased to offer a chance to experience this ancient art form right here in the rock, and we are very pleased to have her on the show. Good morning, and welcome. Hello. Thank you for having me. Now, we started off today, you were trying to get me to uh, w work on my pronunciations of things, <laughs> already making fun of me before we, this is like our first meeting and you're making yeah. fun of me already. Uh, what were you, you were saying my pronunciation reminded you of something. Um, I think, I guess it would be okay to share with everyone. I don't know. <laughs> um, so he said, um, well, the first time he was trying to pronounce my middle name and last name, uh, my complete name is Iman Kaur Tind. So the certain um, letters don't exist in English. So when he was trying to pronounce the Tendai, the first thing that came to my mind was the image of a British officer in an, old, in an Indian movie from colonial India. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe I have a future in Bollywood or something. I don't know. Uh, or you have a British ancestor yeah, who went to India. Maybe. Yeah. Because that is my heritage, you know, that kind of British colonial heritage, yeah. I guess. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So welcome. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Um, so you, you've been interested in, in art uh, since a very young age. Yeah. Yeah. And so how did you get into henna? So tell, tell me about that, that kind of process. Uh, I think that if it wasn't for my Youth Ventures coordinator, Nicole Whittle, in Harbour Britain, I probably would have never considered using the medium. And um, I now I've seen henna being used by people throughout my entire life in India during weddings or just to just as a treat. Um, or my mom using it actually to dye her hair all the time. So it was, uh, it definitely had a presence in my household, but I never uh, really thought about using that as a medium of art until um, I was encouraged by Nicole actually. And um, I, it was literally just me getting my mom to mix up a batch of henna that she usually uses for her hair. And uh, I just put it into, I actually put it into a cake batter cone uh, for the first time yeah. because that's the first thing that you know that's the only thing I could think of and I was actually working at a local bakery so some people do say you'd be really good at decorating cakes and I think yes I actually was doing that right before <laughs> that <laughs> yeah so um, and then I just kind of went from there um, like I have always done with other art forms my whole life yeah so for, for people who aren't familiar with henna, um, I, I mean, we see it a lot today in pop culture, you know, even in North America. Like Beyonce, uh, you mean? Beyonce, <laughs> you know, like it's, it's become kind of an L.A. kind of thing almost. Yeah. Um, can, you, can you describe what it is uh, how, and, and the process that, that goes into it, how, do you, how you create yes. it? So the word henna just uh, stands for either the henna plant, uh, whose the scientific name of which is Lawsonia enormis, or it can also be denoted as the art form itself. So 
the henna plant grows in warmer climates such as Middle East, uh, South Asia, and uh, so henna artists across the world just get the powder of the leaves shipped over here and they can use various ingredients such as sugar, uh, certain essential oils, and water to make up a paste and then apply it on the skin. So there's the, the henna plant actually has uh, the dye which stains the skin, it's a natural dye. So when uh, it is set to, I guess, dye release at a certain temperature for a certain period of time, it slowly releases the dye and then you can get the paste and uh, whip it up to a certain consistency and then get a rolled cone, prepare that yourself or get it, get it prepared from someone else and uh, just put it in that and apply it like you would decorate a cake. <laughs> right. So kind of you kind of squeeze it out. You've brought one with you here today. Yeah. We have one in the studio. And it, and it does kind of look like something you would use for cake decorating. Yeah. 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 So it's a, it's a little cone that, that is filled with the henna paste and you yeah. squeeze it out. And then with Just the tip, you, you make the designs. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Sounds sounds fairly straightforward. But yeah. there's a there's a, a real amount of artistry that goes into it. And uh, science. Yeah. Chemistry. Right. Yeah. So that must this must be perfect for you then because it's a kind of a mix of Yes, science, I never thought of it that way. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's correct. Yeah. So um, you you started off, you know, uh, in, in 2013 uh, doing that, and it, and it has become a business for you. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, tell me about the designs. Where do the designs come from? The So if, when someone asks me if a certain designs mean anything, I tell them they don't have to unless you'd like them to. So it can do with someone's ancestry or if they would like me to create a design inspired by a certain culture. So traditionally in the Indian culture, when henna is applied on brides, um, people use, artists create, use a lot of uh, buds to indicate fertility or the peacock is a symbol of beauty. The flowers are a symbol of welcome, you know, welcoming her into the new home. And uh, for example, in the Moroccan world, um, specifically North Africa, the the art of the fessy art, which is essentially the art of Moroccan henna, mm-hmm. has been um, has been around for a lot of for thousands of years. And the original inhabitants of that area, the Berber women, uh, actually use them to indicate fertility and to adorn women and actually girls and boys during when they reach their adolescent their fertile age i guess so to speak and um actually some sometimes certain motifs can denote um i guess protection from the evil eye in their culture called the hand of fatima and then in the modern world uh, we see a lot of russian artists try to imitate have kind of created their own design based on a tattoo style so Traditionally, certain designs or certain patterns can mean something if you would like them to. Right. Yeah. So and, and what about your designs? Like when you first started out, where were you getting kind of inspiration for your designs from? I think I was really thinking back to what I saw when I was living in India and uh, the time period when I grew up. Uh, you know, at that time, I think that the Indo Arabic designs have been quite popular. So. I also saw a lot of uh, images, like real, a lot of inspirational images on Instagram. And I think that uh, over time, I have made a lot of Instagram friends, you know, different hand artists across the world. And uh, they're sort of like my family now. Yeah. <laughs> so I, we continue to kind of grow and inspire each other and um, I guess learn about different styles that they might be 
they might be doing these days, for example. Yeah, I'm always interested in that, you, you know, how how tradition kind of evolves into the, the current century, you know. So it is this very, very traditional thing. As you said, it has this several thousand year history, but now mm. it's it's on Instagram, you know, and people yeah. are sharing sharing designs that way. Uh, have your designs changed over time then, you know, from what you were doing, you know, four years ago to what you're doing now? Uh, do you see an evolution of your own style? I think that ever since I went to HennaCon last year, last fall, I was uh, exposed to a lot of different styles of artists. For example, I didn't know about Moroccan henna or the Fessy style until I met uh, Fatima Oulad from, uh, from, originally from North Africa. And uh, I think I learned more about the Gulf designs, like the Kaliji from the Middle East. So um, I have always been really excited to try different designs. And uh, I, th- I, I think I have seen an evolution personally going from more insp- inspired by Indian designs to more of a jewelry modern style. And my personal favorites would probably be a combination of a jewelry Moroccan and uh, I think a tr- modern tattoo style because mm-hmm. I like a lot of geometric and symmetrical things. Yeah. But if someone wants something more floral, um, I love roses. <laughs> so I'm happy to create marigolds and roses as well. Yeah, yeah. I've been I've been following you on on Instagram and some of the things that you've been posting there. And there was one uh, design. I don't know if it was one of your designs, but it was a almost like a, like a pirate ship, a schooner kind of yeah. design. Was that one of yours? Yeah. Yeah. Like that's that's I think that's neat. It's like uh, yeah. Newfoundland meets henna, right? It's, yeah. Uh, yeah. Actually, I did that. Uh, I think I did that last year. But it's, it's odd sometimes when you you don't know that when you're going to be creating something and, and then it turns out so great. And I think I haven't really been able to replicate something similar to that ever since then because I mean first of all it was done on a friend and we had lots of time on our hands so it was um, we had a lot of fun with it and I want did want to try to create something inspired by Newfoundland and um, I was seeing a lot of different pictures of ships and tattoos on Instagram and then I thought I should just create one on my friend and when it was funny when she took a selfie another modern term which I really despise when she took a selfie on the in the bathroom mirror it looked like a real tattoo so all of her friends were like whoa she got a tattoo but they were like no it's just henna so and then we ended up taking some uh, we got some professional pictures taken so it was it was a lot of fun yeah and I um, I, I think I would like to create more I guess you could say Newfoundland inspired art. And uh, when I was, uh, I went to the, I think it was a Miapakik. I'm probably also saying that word really wrong the now. Powwow. Yeah, the powwow. I've been there twice actually. And every time I go there, a lot of people there who are um, actually from that region, they're, they're uh, Mi'kmaq, I think. Um, they actually really wanted me to create symbols that they identify with. So uh, a lot of people actually requested dream catchers and they wanted you know names of their children written and uh, different pictures they showed me from traditional art hmm. that they have seen, you know. So it was it was really rewarding. Yeah, and I think it, I think maybe even you who had who had posted stuff or had regrammed stuff that was like, uh, either like Harry Potter inspired yeah. or Pokemon inspired or things yeah. like that. Like, so I, I find that interesting too, you know, that, that there is this very old history, but then it's also yeah. something that has a contemporary meaning that it's something yeah. that people can use to express themselves today. Yeah. Yeah. I find that very, very fascinating, uh, you know, in terms of, you know, kind of where tradition is going. Yeah. yeah. 
Uh, how long does it take you to do a design? So if it's something like, you know, writing your name, it would probably take me less than a minute. Yeah. So if when it comes to something covering just uh, part of the hand, I would say it could be anywhere from 15 minutes to, you know, an hour. Uh, if you want to go to the bridal intensity, right? So it just depends on how intricate or how much of coverage you like. Yeah. And and once it's applied, how long does it last? Uh, so the paste, when it's applied, uh, I advise uh, people to keep it on for at least five, six hours. I mean, I have left it on for 12 hours before and it got really, really dark, almost black when I took it off. So that was really cool. But once it's um, it oxidizes after the paste is removed, over the next 48 hours or two days, then after that it can last anywhere from a week to two weeks, um, depending on if people try to avoid swimming and they try to follow certain um, aftercare instructions. Mm -hmm. I know one of the things that you're really passionate about is is about safety as well and yeah. like the correct the correct use of materials because there are some things that are more natural and some things that are more chemical based. Um, so can you maybe explain the difference and, and, and what you see happening kind of in maybe, uh, you know, some, some modern artists who might not be familiar with the, the more natural stuff? Yeah, it is, uh, uh, it, it is a little bit unfortunate that it, the art has been commercialized and which has resulted in it posing a hazard to potentially to people's health. So the only way that henna can be safe and real henna is if if it's once it's dye released you can um you you freeze it right so you can you can feel that this cone is really really cold and brought it over oh, okay, from yeah. the freezer yeah it is cold so, yeah so you have to put it into the freezer to preserve the stain because it's a very um it's it's a very natural it's a natural molecule and it's not shelf stable so if I leave this cone at a room temperature for a few days it's probably gonna lose its staining ability in a few days right uh, and it's gonna I said that twice it's gonna lose its staining ability very fast right so uh, you know so if someone is selling a cone or a company is marketing a cone that is, uh, they say it's you know 100% natural henna, but if it's being exported or imported from a different location, uh, there's no way that it's going to be from the, the stain is going to be from the actual henna molecules. So there's likely it likely has other preservatives and dyes which right, imitate an artificial the, colorant yeah, of some kind. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, I have um, I have actually compiled a list of few things that people can. Um, you know, using which people can know if something is a real uh, is real henna paste or something like an imitation, like a chemical imitation. Um, I actually have that with me here somewhere. Let's see. So the first um, thing is just the packaging of it. So it has to look like something that has been prepared at home by an, by an artist, right? Um, it should not have labelings and um, I guess marketing like brand brand names and stuff except for maybe the name of the artist if they want to. And, um, you know, the, the client can ask the artist if they prepared the paste themselves or they got it uh, shipped through expedited, expedited shipping from Canada, like locally. Mm -hmm. And uh, it has to smell like hay. You know this um, the henna powder that I brought for you? This must smell like green tea to you, right? Right. So you've, but, got, you've brought this. It's a little, you've got a little glass jar with the, yeah. and it does, it looks like matcha. Like it looks like yeah. ground, ground uh, yeah. green tea. Yeah. And so that's the, 
that's the color of it, like kind of in its in its pure state. It's yeah. green, green color. Yeah. Yeah. So at what point then do you get that kind of darker, reddy brown color? Yeah. So uh, when it's uh, the paste is set, it uh, like this is actually from Rajasthan. It's a part of India where uh, Rajasthani henna typically releases the dye faster than henna from Pakistan. So this one, if I leave it at room temperature, will probably be ready in four to s- about four hours if I don't add lemon to it. So I think after it's it's re- it's a lot of fun. You know, it's really fascinating to make up different batches of henna powder and. Uh, try to make different consistencies, ingredients. So what does the lemon do when you add the lemon? Oh, uh, actually, uh, I have done a lot of experiments. And hen- lemon doesn't really do anything, contrary to the popular belief huh. that it increases the, the dye release. But it actually helps in preserving the stain longer. So if I'm going to a festival, I would I would try to use lemon juice instead of water. But I don't do that because I don't want to add another possible allergen to my paste because some people could be allergic to lemon. But when you smell henna powder... Uh, henna paste um, it should smell like essential oils because that's what artists use to help the dye to be released more so uh, for example this one is eucalyptus and uh, I have uh, lavender here and kajiput Um, and what is the last one? kajiput so now where is where is that from? I don't I'm not 100% sure but I know its scientific name Meleluca kajiputi I don't know Hmm. I'm not sure where it's No, that's from. the one I want to smell because I don't I know sure. I'm not familiar with that okay. one. Yeah. Tell me what it smells like. Okay, so it's you have a little kind of bottle here. Oh, I I don't it, it almost smells a little um medicinal to me. Yep. Like a menthol or something. Uh yeah, I think I to me it smells like a mixture between tea tree and yeah. eucalyptus but a milder eucalyptus. version of them, okay, right? Okay, yeah. Yeah. What do you think this one is? Let's test this. Well, you've already told me, right? But I have to guess without looking at the label, do I? I didn't tell you if it was oh, eucalyptus. Didn't, you didn't tell me this, what this one is? I didn't tell you. I have no idea what this one is. I can smell it here, you actually. Can, I, I can it's s- very... What is it? Is it also oh, that's the lavender, is it? Oh, you, you saw it. I did look at the label. I cheated. <sighs> I was going to ask you. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, when you're working with a client then, do they make, uh, do they have a request for like a certain type of essential oil or? Uh, Unless I'm working on a child or a pregnant woman um, after she's been cleared by a doctor, I only use lavender, high grade lavender. Okay. And why is that? Because uh, it's the oil that's uh, considered the mildest and Mm -hmm. it's one of the most amount of research has been done to it. Uh, you must you must have heard uh, that it's very soothing and it helps in you know it helps in sleep. So yeah, yeah, I have heard sleep, that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I want to know about Hennecon. Be- oh sure. Because I that is that is a world <laughs> I know absolutely nothing about. It sounds yeah. like a sci-fi convention for henna lovers. Is that basically what it? It's like uh, actually we do have uh, we do have a few artists who really like sci-fi designs. Yeah, Antoinette Hippie, yes, and I do like to create sci- sci-fi designs too. But no, <laughs> it's just it's just essentially the one of the largest. I think it is the largest henna gathering across the world, and it's organized by a company called Henna Caravan in Camarillo, California, and um, a lot of henna artists were there. It's so how did you hear about it? I just heard about it online, actually, yeah. because Henna Caravan is uh, probably the biggest company that uh, it's actually. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm probably going to ask the Henna Caravan ladies to view, listen to this interview later. They're going to be like, "Yes, you talked about us," <laughs> <laughs> but it's actually. Uh, I think it's a. Uh, it's actually it's just a just a trio of uh, uh, a mother and two daughters, and actually they have a, another daughter now, but. 
they they just started a company very long time ago and I think around that time there wasn't really many people in the West doing henna so when I went there last year it's it organized every year in uh, October when I went last year there were even people coming from Australia hmm. and it was it was kind of like a slumber party but a really informative slumber party and so how big was it how many people were were I, there um it's hard to say I'm thinking it was probably at least 200 people yeah or maybe more yeah and what did you what did you take away from it what did you think you learned there was uh, a lot of information that was uh, dispensed there. Actually, there were a lot of breakout sessions. For example, it, they were um, they were tailored to individuals of different skill levels. So, I um, so if someone has never done henna, ever picked up a cone in their life, they can go to it and they can uh, they can learn. Um, everything from henna mixology to how to draw basic designs and uh, sample designs, or they could it could have advanced topics such as um, the am I an artist or a therapist, for example? You know, that's that's that was a really interesting topic for us to listen to. Uh, it could have different uh, it could have different workout sessions from different artists in creating more complicated designs, for example. Actually, I think there was also something about helping hen artists to stay uh, to stay healthy and prevent um, any injuries related to overuse of hands and and uh, body like misuse of and not using body positions correctly, right? Sitting yeah. in correct positions. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, do you think you'll go back? Was is it something that you would? I would do really again? love to go back this year, but I'm not sure if I'll be able to because this year it falls during the Canadian thing does not fall during Canadian Thanksgiving, so I'll be missing more days of school. Right. Actually, it was only three days, I believe, and um, I would really love to go back again. But I'm not sure if I will, just because of school. <laughs> t- tell us a little bit about your most recent trip. Um, you, you were, you would, because when, when I first contacted you, you said, oh, I'm getting on a plane. I'm, I'm leaving. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm leaving to go. I'll be back in a month. Yeah. So tell me about that trip. Yeah, it was, um, it was, I have wanted to go back for a long time just to volunteer. And it was, uh, I have gone back many times to India to meet relatives and so on and take a break, for example. But I never really went just for the intention of volunteering. So I was going to go to an organization to volunteer with uh, with uh, with New Light in Kolkata, but I wasn't able to do that because of uh, certain issues with going there and coming back and, and other things. But So I was able to find this local organization uh, really close to my home. Which was, uh, which actually has, it's an NGO and it has a school and a de addiction center and a pharmacy. So uh, when I went there, they gave me a lot of freedom on what I wanted to do really. So not only was I able to um, teach um, and talk about different things such as um, understanding and dealing with child sexual abuse, I could also talk about uh, menstrual hygiene and do a lot of. Um, do a lot of dis- uh, hold a lot of discussions and give them a lot of information and hold workshops about that with uh, adolescent girls and also older older females. Mm-hmm. Uh, now um, they you, don't really. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, sorry, I was going to say I don't mean to interrupt, but you you were also teaching a henna a henna workshop for girls yeah. while you were there. Yeah. 
I did that for the older girls, uh, girls um, around the ages of 18 to 25, because they were actually already going there to get uh, free training in sewing. So I, it was a lot of fun. Actually, it was it was really rewarding. I was uh, able to use uh, the money I raised from my business to fund my trip and buy materials from them. So I, I felt really good about that as well. And uh, so I taught them about henna safety, henna mixology, um, and. Um, I really hope that a lot of the girls would, uh, if, if anything, if they don't end up starting a Hannah business, for example, I would just want, really wanted them to tell, to tell them about, uh, using uh, natural and safe Hannah and not buying chemical cones from the market. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's an, it's another kind of opportunity, I guess, for these, for these young women, you know, yeah. something that they could possibly do to, to make their own little businesses or. Yeah. 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 So tell me about so uh, so tell me about your business then. So this is a this is now a business. Who, yeah. so who are your clients? Who do you who do you who hires you? Uh, very often it's just people who are. Uh, very often it's young. It's the younger crowd. I think. Uh, I think the youngest person who've ever, I've ever done it on was probably eight nine years old. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was at uh, it was at the kids expo actually at the Avalon Kids Expo. And uh, I typically get people who are just interested in trying out the art or want to get something uh, done on one hand or two. I usually don't get a lot of, um, I I don't get a lot of men interested in it, maybe because they think it's only for women, but uh, you know, that's a bummer. And I really try to, (laughs) (laughs) and I really try to promote the art as, um, you know, that's something for everyone of all sexualities and ages. Yeah. But uh, I would be really happy to do head on more, more older people, and you know, do it on people who are, or do it on men, for example. Yeah. And um, no, I'm trying to think about a funny. Well, there's often, I've often done it on. Um, I get some odd requests sometimes, like people wanting to get it done on their. Well, like I don't know if it's if it's suitable for <laughs> this for this. Uh, talk is someone emailed me if they want to get get a tramp stamp okay yeah (laughs) (laughs) interesting yeah i was like oh i I mean if i knew you personally i would consider doing that (laughs) but um just because um you know you you went right into calling it that then i i don't feel comfortable doing that yeah yeah you know it's um um, we i know we talked about hannah like cultural misappropriation earlier yeah so it's uh, some people are worried that uh, that they would be misappropriating, I guess, um, like someone else's like a minority culture by getting henna. But you know, henna doesn't really belong to one culture. It uh, it they say that it originated in North Africa or uh, earliest records have been found in Egypt. But uh, you know, it doesn't really belong to me either. You know, yeah. someone might look at me and you know look like, oh, she's from India. You know, she's qualified to do henna. You know, that's not so not the case, right? So uh, it's it, it doesn't belong to any one particular culture. So everyone should feel welcome to, I guess, try out the art and experience it. And uh, it's more it's more important to appreciate the art and uh, and understand that it has had a cultural significance to it and is still evolving. If people want to follow you uh, in social media, where do they where do they find you? I'm usually on Instagram and Facebook. Uh, my username is Iman Artana. Should I spell it out? Yes, absolutely. Okay. It's E-E-M-A-A-N-A-R-T-H-E-N-N-A. And on Facebook, it's Iman Art and Hannah. Okay, 
Great. Well, thank you. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. Hopefully we'll send you some more business. Thank you. I'm Dale Jarvis. You've been listening to Living Heritage, a co-production of CHMR Radio 93.5 and the Heritage Foundation of Newfoundland and Labrador. Find us online at ichblog.ca or on iTunes. Our production assistant is Andrea McGuire. We would love to know what you think of the show. Leave us a comment on the Living Heritage Podcast Facebook page or tweet us at HFNLCA. Thanks for listening.